Father in heaven, I do thank you for your mercy and kindness to us in Christ. We thank you that you are our Father who is good, and you long for us to see glorious things in your word. And so we pray that you would indeed speak to us even this evening now as we open your word. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. So the topic that I've been assigned is your theme for this year, which is Live Wise, and that comes from Psalm 90. And so I don't have a lot of wise things to say other than to open God's Word. So we will be looking at Psalm 90 tonight. So if you have a Bible, you can turn there, and we'll kind of look through it. It's about 17 verses, and we'll treat it briefly, but we'll try to kind of really understand the psalmist's aim. But to begin, I wanted to just kind of talk a little bit about how life is extremely fragile. I don't know if any of you saw this news story. I saw it, I think it was last week, where there was a woman by the name of Maria Ambrosio. She's a oncology nurse in New Jersey, and she was out with her friends in New York. It was in Times Square. And there was a mugger that robbed someone else, took their cell phone, and as he's running away, he bumped into her. And uh, he knocked her over. She fell. She hit her head. I think she cracked her skull. And then days later, they had to remove life support, and she died. Um, so 58 years old, a wife, a mom, a grandmother, um, and she died out of this sort of freak accident slash tragedy. Um, you know, she was an avid churchgoer, and it's just a reminder of how life is extremely, extremely fragile. We, we just don't know what days we have before us. And um, I remember when I was young, I think I was 16 years old, uh, driving my parents' 1990 Toyota Corolla on the Interstate 5 in California. I was young and stupid, and so I would go uh, much higher over the speed limit. I won't tell you how high I went, but much higher over the speed limit than I should have because there was no traffic because I was driving downtown in order to go to this uh, summer, or not summer job, it was kind of the after-school job that I had at a restaurant. And so I would drive really fast, and I thought I was entirely invincible. And now I, as I look back, I think if that was my 16-year-old son, we'd be having conversation and they wouldn't be driving anymore because that was just so unsafe. But when we're young, we just think we're entirely invincible. But I remember the moment where I first thought about the fragility of life, and it was when when many of you know Stephanie, my wife, uh, we have five children, and when she gave birth to our third, so this was in, oh, what year? Uh, 9, 11, 13, 2013. Um, it was unlike our other two. So after she had given birth to Ezekiel, he was doing just fine, and then she started bleeding pretty significantly. And this was unusual, at least for her. And the doctors were very concerned, the nurses were very concerned, and we had midwives, and so a bunch of doctors stormed into the room, and then they had her signing papers to um, be ready for a blood transfusion because of the loss of blood. And it was in that moment, um, I had just finished reading To the Golden Shore, which is a biography of Adonai Judson, North American missionary to Burma, and if you remember, uh, he, uh, all three of his wives die on the mission field, I believe, and one of them had just given birth, she dies, and so he's walking through the streets of Burma, 
begging people to feed his baby, nursing women to feed his baby before uh, this child dies. My wife thinks I'm really dramatic in thinking about this, but I'm like, this is, this is what came to mind in that moment of like, if Stephanie dies, I have you know, two little ones and then a newborn, and this is really concerning. And that was the first time you know, in my however many years where I thought, oh, life is really fragile. If Stephanie was going through this in any other time in history, she probably would have died of blood loss or infection or a number of other things. And by God's grace, she was totally fine and she didn't need blood transfusions. And, um, but that was the first time I really pondered death a little bit more. Um, and I am sort of a worst case scenario person. For those of you who know me, I like to think about worst case scenarios. So f like when I was in seminary, one of my projects was to do a worship project. So I had to plan a service. And so I planned my funeral but my preference was to plan Stephanie's funeral because that would have been actually more useful. But she said no, so I planned my own instead. And so um, it, it's just a reminder of the fragility and the brevity of life. And it makes us ask the question of how do we make the most of it? And, and that's really what our uh, mom's theme this year is trying to help us think about. How do we make the most of life when we know that it's so brief? So the theme verse is from Psalm 90, verse 12, which says, teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. So it's a great verse. It's a great theme. It's a great thing to spend our time thinking about. And so the question I want to ask is, how do we live wisely when we know that our days are numbered, when we know that life is fragile, we know that life is brief, and we don't know how many days that we do, in fact, have? We could be like Maria Ambrosio at 58 and, and die. And so if you have a phone or a Bible, let me encourage you to turn to Psalm 90. And what I want to do is just kind of walk through it and point out a few things. It's not going to be a full-blown sermon on Sunday morning, but I do want to first notice that what we're reading in Psalm 90 is very ancient wisdom. This is the only psalm that has the inscription that says, A Prayer of Moses, the Man of God. And so we're not entirely sure, but it could have been passed down over the years. And this is the only psalm that's attributed to Moses. And so it would have been the oldest psalm, potentially. And it really is very significant. So the first two verses, let me read them, and then I'll just comment a little bit about it. So it says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. So the psalmist is basically uh, confessing, once again, affirming that God is a refuge for his people, that he is their dwelling place. And then he goes into how brief and fleeting life is in verses three to six. He says, you return man to dust and say, return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. And so as you read verses 3 through 6, you're probably thinking of Isaiah 48 that probably many of our children learned if they went through the nurseries here at Bethlehem. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. And He's, he's saying that we essentially come from dust and then we get returned to dust and we die. Life is 
brief. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed, and in the evening it fades and withers. A thousand years is but like a day. And so all of these verses are pointing to the brevity of life. And then um, maybe I'll just mention, you know, uh, we had Noel. She was born at HCMC down in downtown Minneapolis in 2009, I want to say. No, 2009? 2009. And, um, you know, now she's 12. And I think, oh, we, we've lost more than half of our time. Maybe, maybe some of you can relate as your children get older. Like, I only get maybe four, maybe six years more with her. And then that's it. You know, life is so short. And I remember seeing a chart once, you know, if they say the amount of time you get with your kids, if you factored in, you know, they come back for Christmas break and maybe summer break during the college years. And then, you know, maybe you see them one day a week when they're grown up that the you know, vast majority of your time with them is in those first 18 years. And so life is fleeting. And I remember getting the advice, you know, the days are long, but the years go fast. And boy, has that been true. So life is fleeting. And Moses is helping us see that in verses 3 through 6. And then verses 7 through 11, he highlights how our sin leads to God's judgment. So God displays his anger and wrath against, ju- uh, against our sin and against sinners. So it says, verse 7, For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So what he's doing there is he's just lamenting the fact that we all come under some level of judgment because of our sin. But it's worth noticing in verse 10 where he really draws out this idea of the brevity of life once again. Our years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. And so I am 39, and so if I live to 80, I'm already halfway there. And so that was, you know, I'm kind of ripe for my midlife crisis. You know, me and Stephanie have been joking, like, what should I buy? Um, And, um, you know, but... For, for many of us, you're either similar in age to me, and so you're halfway there, or you're older than me, and you're maybe two-thirds of the way there, or you're a little younger than me, and you're one-third of the way there. And yet, for all of us, life is so brief, and we're not guaranteed 70 or 80 years or 120. And so um, one of the striking things that I experienced this summer was I haven't seen my parents for about two almost three years, just because they live on the West Coast. And so they visited this summer. And uh, it was great to see them, but I just noticed that they're a lot older. You know, having not seen them for a while, I thought, wow, their hair was already white. It's more white now, but it was just they were moving a little bit more slowly. They have a little bit less energy. Every time we got into the car, they kind of fell asleep, you know, for the part we were driving. We were up in the North Shore, and there's lots of driving. Um, And it was just striking of like, oh, like, Life is so 
fleeting. And I'm sure many of you can resonate either with parents or grandparents um, that you maybe care for. Or we will soon begin thinking through like, hey, how do we care for mom and dad and, and, and their long-term good? And, and you know, th they used to be a lot more help with the kids, the grandkids. And now it's a little bit like we're trying to navigate caring for both groups, like, okay, you know, you guys can't do so much, and the kids can now do a little bit more, and, and we're trying to balance all those different pieces. And so, you know, what is our life but 70 or 80 years? Um, and, and compared to eternity, it really is just incredibly brief. And so that, that's really what the psalmist wants us to see in the first 11 verses, that life is short. I think that's what Moses is drawing out. Life is incredibly short and fragile, which is why in verse 12, he, I think kind of verse 12 jumps into the second half of the psalm. If you'll notice, verse 12 all the way to 17 are all requests from that point on. So it says, teach us, return, O Lord, have, satisfy us, have pity, make us glad, let your work, let your favor. So it's all requests from 12 through 17. Yet prior to that, he's just lamenting and remarking upon how brief and, and fleeting life is. So before we jump into verse 12 to 17, um, maybe it's just good to ask the question, what is wisdom? Um, if, you know, our theme is to live wise, what's wisdom? Uh, and I think wisdom could be defined as the ability to apply knowledge or experience or understanding or common sense and insight. And, and I think in the biblical context, uh, I think wisdom would be the ability to live rightly before God. Uh, so how do we make the right decisions at the right time under God's sovereign design? So how do we make the right decisions at the right time according to God's standards? So I think that would be wisdom. And so Moses bewails the brevity of life. And then in verse 12, he says, so teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. So what does it mean to live wisely in this passage? I think there are three main things that I'd love to draw out. And then um, if we have extra time, maybe we could just do questions here at the end. Uh, I think the first thing is he wants us to number our days. So numbering our days. We see the fleeting nature of life, and yet it's good to reflect upon how do we get a heart of wisdom. It's first that we number our days. Um, this summer, it was in August, I think, I read a story about an Anglican pastor who um, was driving his 20-year-old, 22-year-old daughter to college, um, and it was his first day of sabbatical. And so he tweeted out, you know, first day of sabbatical, dropping off my daughter in New Mexico, and then on the way there, he died in a car crash, um, him and his 22-year-old daughter. And uh, you just think, like, wow, like, 
that just seems, you know, in, in many ways we would say a tragedy. Um, and in other ways, like we understand the sovereignty of God and that was the time that the Lord decided to take him home. And yet the, the brevity of life is jolting in those moments. It, it's, um, it's something that we bemoan and, and would hate to see if that was to be our family. And, and so I think when it says, teach us to number our days, what he's saying is in light of verses one through 11, help us to understand that we don't have as much time as we think we do. We don't have unlimited amounts of time. So teach us to live wisely in light of the limited amounts of time that we do in fact have. And so what does it mean for us to live faithfully in the midst of the brief and few moments that we do get here on earth? And so personally as a dad, um, I constantly need to remind myself that what's more important is my time with my kids than like all the other things I want to tick off the to-do list, you know, like uh, Bailey mentioned doing the leaves and I'm like, oh, that's the bane of my existence. We have a bunch of trees and I'm doing leaves like every single weekend from here on out and, and it's fine. And at the same time, it's like, but I want to spend time with my kids or, um, me and Stephanie have this running joke of we can either have a clean house or we can have a happy house. Um, and I know that's not, um, you know, mutually exclusive, but they feel like that sometimes for us. And so we have five kids and it's like, we could either be clean and ha have people over or it'll, it'll be happy. And, you know, and, and it's just kind of that constant juggle. And, and so, you know, wisdom is, okay, we have a limited amount of time. What's really worth our time and energy and anxiety? And how do we make those decisions in those moments when it's, okay, I could spend this 30 minutes correcting the child who's having the breakdown once again, or whatever it may be. Um, or I can, you know, send them to their room and, and, and get lunch prepared, you know, and obviously they eventually need lunch at some point, and yet how do we begin to really juggle those priorities? And I think th those aren't easy. They're not easy for moms, they're not easy for dads, they're not easy for grandparents, and, and yet that's really, I think, what Moses is trying to draw out for us. How, to, how do we live wisely knowing that every moment you don't get back, you can't get a do-over, you can't do it again? Um, you know, there especially as, as a pastor, there's very often things I have to say no to, you know, um, in terms of there's certain things I can't outsource to somebody else. I can't say, you know, someone go to my house and read my kids a bedtime story or, you know, teach my kids certain things. Only I can do those things. And then uh, there's other things at church where I'll say, Pastor Sam, it's your job th this week, you know, because I can't do it. And so the funeral falls to you. Um, and, and so I wonder for some of us, you know, what are the things that you can outsource? Uh, and then what are the things that you can't hand off to anybody else? And those are the things that are going to make a lasting difference. So what does faithfulness look like for us? And so th that may be just something worth considering as we consider these passages. So learning to number our days is to faithfully do what we're supposed to do in that particular moment and letting God guide us how to make those decisions. And I think for some of us, it may mean, you know, prayerfully considering certain things that we'll stop doing um, and then prayerfully considering other things that we will do and how will you prioritize those. Um, 
And, and that's just a really significant thing for us where there's uh, a constant buffet of things that you can do and get involved in. Um, uh, you know, from soccer and traveling basketball teams and, you know, and you can just name it ballet and gymnastics and, you know, and if you don't have little kids, you know, all the other stuff that big kids do that I haven't quite figured out yet. Um, you know, all, all the things that you can get involved in, especially here in the burbs for us and, and just making decisions. How do we live wisely? What are the things that not just what our kids will remember, but what are the best uses of our time? So learning to number our days. I think the second thing is going to God for our satisfaction. So if you see verse 14, it says, satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. And so our joy, our satisfaction is to be found in the love of God, which brings us joy. And as we saw this past Sunday, that satisfaction is ultimately found in Jesus. He's the only way, he's the truth, he's the life. And I think what the psalmist is trying to say is we'll live more wisely when we're satisfied in God first. Um, and, and, you know, you can sort of use pop culture psychology to say, you know, fill up first before you're kind of ministering to others, you know, and, and when we talk about it in terms of the Bible, we want to be satisfied in God so that when we minister to others, what's coming out is not this neediness of their approval, of their acceptance, but really we're deeply satisfied, we're content in God, and so when we minister to our children, to our families, to uh, our parents, to those within our small group, at church, what's coming out is not a people-pleasing mentality of, oh, now I can get other people's affirmation and affection, but rather... We're deeply content in God, and what comes out is really a heart of service. And um, I, I used to think, oh, I don't struggle with that, and then I realized, no, I do. Um, it, it was, uh, now we have, okay, we have five kids, and our youngest is four. Uh, his name's Isaiah. Um, I'm laughing because I'm thinking about I'm not supposed to use the kids in illustrations and sermons. This technically doesn't count, but I did tell them I'd give them $20 if I ever used their names in an illustration. Uh, but I don't think Isaiah will find out. So um, <laughs> some of you may tell him, but he won't know what $20 is either. Anyways, um, he's beyond the stage of wanting to be held or hugs, some of you kind of know this season, and uh, he's just very content being a little boy. You know, he's, he's a big boy now. He doesn't need help, he doesn't, and I realized I really miss those little years, like where they would just run into my lap and where I could hold them and where I could kiss them and snuggle them, and, and um, at times I will needily, like, Isaiah, come here, come give dad a, dad a hug. And he's like, no, I don't want to. And in that moment, it's kind of like, I, I could probably uh, still hug him. I could enforce my will. I could demand it of him. But that would be finding my satisfaction. Uh, it, it, and, you know, this is kind of a silly illustration, but it, it's a real illustration of I could find my deep needs and, and satisfaction in the embrace of another or I can find it in God. And, and, and you know, that's, that's a simple illustration, but it, it's, I think, so true of us in all these other ways of, wow, other people think I'm 
successful or uh, accomplished or that I keep a good home or that my kids are well-raised or whatever it may be. And, and we can seek the satisfaction of others, the affirmation of others rather than in God. And I think when we're to live wisely, it's really to find our soul's satisfaction in Jesus first and foremost so that when we do serve our children and others and all the other things that you all do, running a business or you know, working outside the home, that you're doing it out of that deep reservoir of having been satisfied by Christ. So Moses is requesting here in this psalm that God would satisfy him in the morning with his steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. And if you think about Moses, he experienced 40 years living in Egypt, probably as royalty. He experienced 40 years in uh, the wilderness as a shepherd, and then 40 years wandering in the desert. And, and that last season, which was probably the hardest, the, the most chock full of conflict and complaining and grumbling and physical toil was the one season of his life of the other three of the three total where he really experienced the steadfast love of the Lord and realized through that 40 years what we need to rely upon is not the food that's going to show up six days of the week and last through the seventh and, and the water that comes from rocks and the pillar of cloud that leads us and the sandals that won't wear out, but it's God's presence. And this was to teach them how to live by faith. And, and, and so even if perhaps some of us are in a season of wilderness, a, a hard season in your mothering or parenting or marriage or just in caring for aging parents, um, I believe that God is working even in that so that we would rely on him and be satisfied in God more than anything else. The third thing I think that Moses is drawing out for us is trust God to establish your labor. So trust God to establish your labor. Um, there is so little time, and so we have to trust God to do the things that we can't do. So if you look at verse 17... It says, let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. I think the reason Moses asks God to establish the work of his hands is because life is so brief and fleeting and short. So if, we're, if we live 80 years, the first 20 you're either an infant or your brain is not fully developed and then it sort of gets there and then you're learning things, right? And then the last 20, usually, you're slowing down, things don't come as easily, you're probably not trying a lot of new things. And so there's this middle season where we can do a lot of things and, and run really fast and try to accomplish as much as we can. And maybe you get 30 years maybe 20 in your prime. You know, our family's been reading through numbers and who could serve as priests in the temple? Only the men who were 30 to 50. And it makes me think, oh, like maybe that's the prime. I don't know why the cutoff was 50. You would think older priests would be great. Like they would know what to do and they would have this experience and wisdom, but it was 30 to 50. That was, those were the cutoffs. Um, and, and it's just interesting to think about. It made me think about Noah. How long did Noah live? 950 years. Um, and, and that was the norm of that time, right? If you read those genealogies, you're just amazed. Like, 
can you imagine if we were alive for 950 years, you know, way back when I was a kid, you know, and the stories you would tell, um, you know, you would have lived through all of American history, you know, twice over. Um, and yet, you know, it took them, I think they say anywhere from 50 to 100 years to build the ark and, and all of those things. So just life was long and there was a lot where they could establish the work of their hands. Um, and because of our sin, because of the wickedness of mankind, it's limited at about 120 now. And really we get 20, 30, 40, maybe if you're lucky, solid years in the middle where you have energy and strength and, and all of your faculties and, and you can really tackle something. And yet that's such a short period of time when all things are considered. And so he's really praying that God would establish the work of our hands. And so part of living wisely, I think, is just trusting God to do the things that we can't do. So we, we don't bemoan the fact, I only get six more years with Noelle before she leaves. And I'm very dismayed by hearing about, you know, college students that start getting engaged and then get married. And then, you know, it's like, that's too quick. Um, and, and yet, you know, I'll be happy for her, I think. Um, you know, but, but it's those sorts of things where you think, oh, like, we only have six more years to build in some of those key lessons. And for some of you, it's less time, and some of you have a little bit more time. And, um, and so it really is living wise, I think, is first learning to apply the lesson that life is short, that we need to number our days. And, and you know, none of them are a given. So if there are important things that you need to do that you've put off, I'll do this next week or next year or when we get to this place, maybe don't put those off. Or there's other things that uh, I'll stop doing this because I know it's less important to actually take hold of those things. And then really to find our joy and satisfaction in Jesus more than anything else so that we can really make the types of decisions that would be wise in those moments, not driven by fear, not driven by a need for affection from others, not driven by the fear of man, not driven by, um, you know, whatever else it may be that's motivating us, but really being deeply satisfied in Christ. And then lastly, trusting God to, to do what we can't do so that he's able to establish the work of our hands. So, um, I was thinking I'd share one last story. So this has been a hard year for everybody, you know, these last two years. Um, and I was sharing with some pastors uh, maybe two weeks ago that I know of at least eight pastors that resigned uh, personally in these last, uh, this last year or so uh, for various reasons from health to controversy in their church and otherwise. Um, and we were talking about one of our friends who uh, came upon a family inheritance that was quite a large sum, and so they didn't need to work anymore. And so he quit his job, and he started doing something else. And we said, hmm, it'd be interesting to think about. What would we do if that was us? Um, and we said, I think we'd do exactly what we're doing, right? Like, we, we'd, we'd minister to God's people and, Lord willing, preach the gospel and, and do the things that... Uh, that really matter to us. And, and I think that's part of living wise is, you know, if you could do anything in the world, what would you be doing? And hopefully you would answer, 
doing exactly what I'm doing. That, that's what God's called me to in this season, is to be faithful to wiping snotty noses and wiping dirty bottoms and picking up things and working at various points and squeezing in moments with your husband and and whatever else it may be uh, and caring for aging parents. And so I I really do think, um, you know, Psalm 90 helps us think about how brief life is and yet we can trust in God who establishes the work of our hands and we can find our ultimate joy and satisfaction in him.